Um, hi, everybody, uh, and welcome to today's webinar. We have more than 380 people registered for today's session, so thanks to all of you for your interest. Um, in the next hour, we will be talking about our recent research project, which was conducted to understand how longitudinal pavement markings um, affect automating, um, automated steering functions and how existing design and maintenance practices could be improved. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Austroads, um, and I will be moderating today's session. Um, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to Eldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today uh, was delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program, which is managed by John Wall. Um, a little bit of housekeeping for today's session. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report today's webinar is based on and the presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions um, at any time during the webinar. If you could note the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful for us to answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same box uh, to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So um, leaving the webinar, closing your browser and rejoining the session again via your registration link usually fixes that problem. This session is being recorded uh, and we will let you know when uh, the video is available on our website so you can watch it again or share it with your colleagues. Um, and if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also search for Austroads in your podcast app. So we have a panel of four presenters today, uh, John Wall, Scott Benjamin, uh, Julian Ma and April Jean. We will first hear from John Wall. Um, John is the Austroads Program Manager, Future Vehicles and Technology, and um, he is recognized uh, as one of Australia's leading specialists in the application of intelligent transport systems for road safety. John has over 25 years experience in the development of road safety strategies and countermeasures and holds uh, tertiary qualifications in agricultural science, education and public health. John will tell us uh, about the Future Vehicles and Technology Program. Next, we will hear from Scott Benjamin, uh, Julian Ma and April Zhang. Scott is the Technical Director for ITS uh, at WSP with uh, over 20 years experience in the development of policy, strategy, implementation and operation of ITS in Australia and the UK. He has strong background in systems engineering and development of frameworks to support policy and strategy, focusing on maximizing the benefits um, of connected and automated vehicle technology for state agencies. Um, Scott sits on the executive committee of the Australian uh, Integrated Multimodal Ecosystem with Melbourne University, and he's also a fellow and a director of the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management. 
Julian Ma uh, is an intelligent transport lead at WSP with a background in managed motorway design and providing advice to government and industry regarding connected and automated vehicles. April Jean is a senior intelligent transport engineer at WSP. She has experience in consulting, government and technical academia since 2012. Um, working on road safety advisory, ITS, and connected and automated vehicles uh, projects. Uh, welcome to all of you. It's great to have you with us today. Um, and over to you, John. Thank you, Ekaterina. And uh, thank you to everyone who's given up an hour of your time today to be with us this afternoon for uh, what I think is a very important and uh, will be an interesting webinar that we hope. Go to the next slide, please. The Future Vehicles and Technology Program is Osroad's newest program. We were established in 2019 and building on the wonderful foundation of the original Connected and Automated Vehicles Program that ran for a number of years uh, before the new program was established. Our vision is that all employees of our members have an understanding of how future vehicles and technology can be used to improve the capacity of their organisation to deliver the services that improve the lives of the communities they serve. We have five program themes within our program that are around connected and automated mobility, low and zero emission vehicles, physical infrastructure support for future vehicles, digital infrastructure support for future vehicles, and member capability. Member capability being what job skills, what's our workforce going to look like into the future if we are to support both connected, automated and low and zero emission vehicles? Next slide, please. So we've introduced the, the team in terms of the people who will be speaking today, but of course these projects include a lot of other people that don't get to speak at our webinar. And I'd like to, rec uh, to recognise the work of uh, our project managers here at Austroads, um, both Chris Jones and David Yee, who played an important role in managing this program, along with the staff from WSP. The project itself and the final report was reviewed by a number of Austroads uh, groups, working groups and task forces. Uh, that included our pavements working group as part of our assets program. My future vehicles and technology task force, which is the group that I report to. And of course, the board of Austroads, which consists of the 11 owners of Austroads, all of the government road agencies across Australia and New Zealand, as well as the Australian Local Government Association. Next slide, please. Our Austroads Future Vehicles and Technology Task Force is made up of representatives of all 11 owners of Austroads, and you can see the names of uh, the, the people that are involved in our program. Of course, uh, spanning the breadth and uh, width of both Australia and New Zealand. And I thank them for all the work that they do. A lot of this is done in their own time and uh, we certainly wouldn't have the quality of products that we are able to produce in our program without the hard work of our task force. Next slide. So without further ado, I'll pass over to Scott, who will take you through the project background. Scott, over to you. Thanks very much, John. So uh, to begin with looking at the uh, project background, just to cover the project purpose. So 
This is to understand and leverage the safety benefits of pavement markings for automated steering functions. So important emphasis here on the pavement markings, and we'll, we'll reiterate that through the discussion here uh, today. Um, the project objective is to investigate how we can best configure and maintain longitudinal pavement markings and lane designs to ensure the best possible outcomes for whole of life performance uh, for, for the lane markings and to determine what level of maintenance is going to be required to support machine vision enabled uh, lane guidance functions in these vehicles. Moving on to the uh, next slide, um, we've provided some estimates here um, of the likely growth of uptake of automated steering functions within Australia. But these estimates come from uh, informal discussions uh, with industry um, at the beginning of this project, so may vary a little, uh, but you can see a, a low uh, estimate there of uh, 2% in 2013 and pretty rapid increase through 2018, 2020, where we'd expect to see 50% uh, of all new vehicles having um, some level or, or, or some amount of these automated steering functions. And uh, look, obviously uh, hard to ascertain accurately those, those numbers. Um, so how do these systems help? Um, firstly, this is going to allow us to leverage uh, existing uh, delineation to, to improve road safety outcomes. And there's a, there's a, way, a range of ways this is done. Now, that could be through um, passive, uh, information being provided back uh, to the driver. And that um, could be uh, simply a, a light on the dash, um, some information feedback. Uh, it could be active, and that might be haptic feedback. Some feedback uh, through the steering wheel is, is quite common. And it could involve uh, certainly slightly higher level uh, or amounts of feedback and control like lane centering functions. So these are a mix of what uh, is often referred to as level one, level two automated uh, functions in, the, in terms of the uh, SAE taxonomy for uh, automated vehicles. And moving on to the, to the next slide. Um, good to just to comment on uh, some of the project um, you know, considering project background, some of the other work that was being done internationally. So uh, NCHRP project uh, mentioned there, um, it's only just been published, uh, but certainly we're in touch with the authors and WSP, some engagement in early um, parts of, uh, or other projects uh, leading up to that work. Um, so good discussions there um, with the, with the groups, uh, research groups involved and the supplier 3M as part of that. Um, a key reference point, roads that cars can read, that many of you may have heard, heard of, and that's been around quite, quite a while, um, and uh, certainly a uh, useful background document. And more recently, Caltrans. So um, worth a look if you're, if you're interested in the topic, um, but uh, some of the work that they did in 2017 in, in changing their standards. So some similar elements to what we'll, we'll pick up in discussion, the work done with Austroads today. Um, and there was removal of certain types of lining, what's referred to as bot stots, um, and, and the use of those on their freeway. Uh, they were found to be problematic uh, for, for some of the automated vehicle functions um, and, a, and a switch um, or consideration of switch from uh, four inches to six inch wide um, markings and also consideration of uh, durability of markings. So use of thermoplastics instead of paint alone. Um, moving on to the uh, the next slide. 
We thought this is a useful, useful slide and uh, some discussion of this in the report. Um, this source, it's, it's worth having a look uh, for some, uh, 20, 2017 and more information in, uh, in the report about this. But it, it's trying to understand what does uh, the, the vehicle see and understand from its environment. So what are the machine vision capabilities doing? Uh, so if you look over to the right-hand side of the image, uh, you'll see the, um, an original image. Uh, this is then splayed out, so undistorted. Um, there's some um, layering and consideration of colour and, um, and uh, gradient thresholds. So really trying to pick the edge of objects. And then there's a, a range of perspective and colour transformations. All of that information is brought back uh, into the sim single images um, on the left. And you can see that histogram um, of sort of intensity or the pixel intensity that the, the, uh, the vision systems are picking up. And that's uh, sort of a, a view of how some of these systems may function. So these uh, systems are proprietary in nature and uh, there's a good experience for us to understand. There's certainly a, a, a large uh, range of uh, uh, performance um, through different conditions, which we'll touch on in this discussion, but this is uh, useful to consider as an introduction here. And uh, moving on to the um, to this slide, uh, look, the key the key points here is that um, really we we want to um, consider uh, these machine vision uh, systems as another road user on the road. So we're considering the impact of of lane marking on those machine vision systems, but we also need to be cognizant of the impact on human drivers and manual drivers. And uh, the impacts there are, are um, certainly very important in ensuring there's equity and the safety outcomes we, we get. Um, consideration of particular road users, um, particularly, um, particularly uh, with an aging uh, demography in, in Australia. Um, we're looking, looking at and considering the proportion um, of um, uh, safety benefits, as I mentioned, that split between uh, machine vision uh, use and other road users, um, trying to ascertain what is the specific benefit of delineation and uh, wanting to understand um, is there a, a strong benefit to cost ratio um, for the use of uh, or changes in these practices with, with uh, line marking. Uh, and from there, I think we're over to Julian. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that. Um, I'm going to quickly go through um, methodology and some of the initial evaluation uh, or how we sort of put the testing together. Um, quick overview, uh, literature review, as you often start with these sorts of projects. We looked at current projects globally, uh, vehicle manufacturers, as Scott mentioned, um, it's very difficult for them to share proprietary information, but we're able to get some sort of inklings of what causes issues for them. Um, and the current harmonisation standards, which were put in place uh, across Australia, were fantastic. Um, very helpful to have that put in place just before our project. So rather than matching to one to seven different standards or six different groups of standards, we had one to match to and sort of work out what the impacts are. Um, and what the, you know, the stakeholder discussions, um, road agencies, vehicle manufacturers, pavement marking uh, manufacturers and pavement marking suppliers and installers. Um, it's important for us to understand a wide range of potential squeeze points for these groups. And then sort of the impact, sort of what's the best 
bang for buck. So if we're going to spend some money or change standards or perhaps modify our approach to payment marking, um, how can we focus our testing on what's going to have the biggest potential impact? So there's lots of little edge scenarios um, that causes issues for uh, machine vision, but what's the highest you know, value for money? So an example for that is um, uh, runoff rural road, rural road crashes. Um, it was a very high, uh, high thing to research, uh, high benefit to research and high potential impact. Um, and so there are all these factors um, impact into our testing, um, our on-road and off-road testing. Um, unfortunately, some of the things we wanted to test uh, required off-road testing, uh, just to focus on different impacts which are unsafe to, or un, un, are not as feasible to test off-road. We'll talk more about that when we get to it. And then covering all those different data points and, and analysing it into sort of understanding, identifying trends and relationships we weren't aware of beforehand. So with a lot of this research, this is quite original. Um, there's not a lot of work done in this space globally. Um, so it's quite important for us to sort of understand that um, uh, things that uh, didn't match literature review or stakeholder thoughts, um, the anything that was emerging out of that. And of course, recommendations and conclusions. Um, so literature review and consultation. So the biggest factor, um, which if anyone's worked in this space for a little bit, is contrast ratio. Contrast ratio is the relative brightness between um, the pavement markings or it can be curb and channel. Um, it could be the edge of pavement as well and substrate. So what the vehicle is trying to look between is the image as Scott showed before. Um, the brighter the pavement or the duller the line marking, usually it's harder for a vehicle to see that pavement marking. Um, confusing configurations is another big factor we wanted to test and look at. It was emerging out of so vehicles can't logically make a choice and understand which lines to follow or which ones to ignore. They look at all the lines and they're trying to make sense and which ones are uh, which ones are appropriate for them longitudinally. Um, this is particularly relevant in places uh, like Victoria where they mix yellow paper marking and white paper marking um, for construction sites and it can be a bit confusing for vehicles or what is confusing. Uh, colour was less of a factor than we thought it might be initially. Um, so we didn't spend much time looking into the actual colour. Uh, most of the vehicles um, ignore colour quite early on in terms of uh, the colour of the paper marking. They do use colour in their processing. Um, day testing is more important than night um, with a lack of um, uh, um, other light sources, I guess you could say at night. Um, you do have overhead and street lighting, but um, during the day, you've got a lot of sun and other issues and other vehicles sort of causing issues that relatively, the relative increase in um, pavement brightness, I guess you could say, can cause issues. Um, the other thing we established early on, early on, there's no monocular machine vision solution for light bloom. So that's a lot of words in. Briefly, that means that um, if you have one camera looking at the road, trying to work out what's line marking, what isn't line marking, uh, if there's a bright light shining off wet pavement next to a white line, um, whether it's oncoming vehicles or like in a, in, in a rainstorm or street lighting or sun, or the sun, there's no real way for a vehicle to actually filter that out. Um, the sensor becomes quickly overwhelmed and there's no way for it to filter that out easily using the cameras that are installed within cars. Um, there are other systems perhaps coming down the line which will help uh, repair that, but yeah, that's another discussion. 
Uh, we also want to have a look at sort of the whole of life costs, as I mentioned, the current standards and practices and engagement with the different manufacturers. So these are the main factors we tested. Um, we tested different pavement brightness, so concrete pavement, different bitumens, um, pavement marking quality, so the different is a large number of elements around uh, the width of the pavement marking, uh, the quality or the brightness of it, um, the typing configuration of pavement marking, all mentioned there, the contrast ratio. Uh, we quickly focused on the longitudinal pavement markings, that's A, the large proportion of pavement marking uh, nationally, and also the biggest uh, potential value for money in terms of reducing, uh, providing safety benefits. Uh, we did have a look at temporary pavement markings as well, and the different formats, uh, where you've got yellow, white, and and uh, blacked up paper markings and we had a look at uh, lane widths and exit ramps and intersections. Um, exit ramps were particularly interesting and that was a and that comes in terms of the gap um, where you have a lane suddenly going a bit wider at different church places or intersections where there's a gap in paper marking causing confusion. So as I mentioned the test designs are based on those factors. We had a main test vehicle that had a third-party um, single camera focused with a look ahead. Um, it's a mobile eye device for those familiar with it. The reason why I use the mobile eye is that um, it will give us a more detailed output of what's seen and give us an inclination on how confident it is and perhaps how it's making decisions. Um, vehicle manufacturers uh, using the, uh, the CAN bus, you don't really have access to that decision making. That's all proprietary and quite understandably so. Um, and so this gave us a bit more inclination on how this vehicle, this, this device is actually making those decisions. And we understood that the mobilized used in quite a large proportion of the vehicle fleet um, globally, and sort of linking that to the GPS and data logger. Um, we also had uh, some other test vehicles, capturing information on what the heads up display was displaying, and also what the vehicle was saying and linking those with different cameras. Uh, all synced up and providing some uh, machine vision uh, analysis of those sort of results. And what else? And we also did, um, we used, where possible when we're actually testing and evaluating pavement marking, we used the same tools that road, road agencies use. So we used, um, there's a company that goes around with a uh, Honda XL, um, measuring pavement marking relative brightness and maintenance quality. Uh, maintenance uh, factors that need to be changed, so width and and uh, relative brightness, and also handheld devices um, used by road authorities as well. And let's just open this up for you. These videos are just showing some examples. It's a visualization of what the mobile eye is seeing and the information it's sort of grabbing. So it sort of looks ahead a set distance and it looks at the quality of the pavement marking, quality of the line marking. Uh, making a sort of a an assessment. It tells you the line width and also talks about what sort of line marking is present. Uh, the previous example we saw on some concrete pavement. This example was on the test track with some really poor quality line marking in the right. And we've got coming up next uh, the night example as well, where you'll have a need to change on the left, sort of dip out and I'll sort of have no line. And that's that's a very a uh, very basic example of what is uh, shown by the mobile eye. Um, so off-road evaluation, uh, one of the most interesting parts was actually creating uh, kilometres of pavement marking 
with graduated um, levels of contrast ratio. So we knew the brightness of the pavement that we're testing and we wanted to actually replicate different levels of graduated contrast ratio. We knew that a ratio of three to one was roughly the number that had been seen as a good number to aim for. So uh, the paper marking being three times the brightness of the substrate. We wanted to actually sort of understand different vehicles, how they reacted around that ratio. So sort of going from five to one down to 1.2 or something to one, something similar to that. Um, using the same tools that vehicle manufacturers would use to it. Um, uh, we also did some on-road evaluation, um, a combination of the test vehicle we talked about before and also the um, an on-road survey as well. And sort of how that would be. So how an on-road survey using that vehicle that the road agencies actually used to test would actually react and see similar to the vehicle actually picking up or not picking up paper marking. And we tested some metro and rural locations, um, testing a large number of factors, including different speeds, different pavement widths, uh, lane widths, sorry, um, different uh, shoulder types, different intersections, um, gravel, all these different scenarios. Next slide. So we gathered a large amount of data and that was collated. And then there's a lot of processing around this. Um, so looking at the retrofilicity of the line marking, um, line marking width, um, different factors around the road pavement material and configuration of the line, longitudinal line markings. You know, is it dashed or is it solid? Um, what sort of spacing is it? Uh, vehicle speeds. So vehicle speeds was is quite often a factor. Um, the camera looking at the road only has a set frame rate. So the faster you go or the slower you go, it changes the amount of information it has to make decisions on. And then a variety of different lighting conditions, time of day, um, different weather uh, conditions as well. And this is a reminder, if you have any questions, there's a slide to put some, as a little uh, note to put some questions through in, and we'll talk about those later. And now I believe I'm gonna hand over to April. Thanks, Julian. So yeah, um, so I will be talking about the evaluation and some interesting results from the on-road and off-road trials. Next slide, please. So um, as Julian mentioned, the off-road evaluation will focus on the QD contrast ratio between the pavement marking and the pavement and uh, the longitudinal pavement marking width, dash spacing of the dash lines and dry and wet conditions. So the results were detailed in our report, but I'd like to talk about this diagram that shows some really interesting findings. So QD here is the luminous coefficient under the diffuse illumination with an uh, observation in, as in the 30 meter geometry. And it is often used to describe the pavement marking visibility during daytime. So the x-axis here in this diagram is the difference contrast ratio. The y-axis is uh, what we call passing rate. So passing rate uh, here in our report is defined as um, the ratio of times vehicles successfully passed the test to the total test runs. Pass means like the LKA consistently and reliably detected the lines. During the test, we also observed the scenarios of um, hysteresis and inconsist inconsistency, or what we call like variation between the input and HMI output. So this means like there were times that the LKA believed it detected lines where there was actually no lines. So this uh, scenario was categorized as false runs in our test. 
So as shown here, the four groups of tests were visualized. Orange one shows the result of vehicles running in a dry environment. The green one shows the result of vehicles running in a wet environment. It can be seen that both groups started to plateau at contrast ratio about 2.5. The passing rate dropped a bit after we removed the fourth runs, but it still shows that the once the contrast ratio is higher than 2.5, the passing rate is relatively good. Next slide, please. So um, for the on-road evaluations, as Julian mentioned previously, we had tested a wide range of factors. And uh, this diagram basically um, is an overview of the uh, performance of the um, vehicle detectability. So it can be seen in general, the um, HMI performs well. And it's actually, it worked better in the nighttime than in the daytime. So next slide, please. So um, this diagram on the um, right top corner, it shows the, uh, a bit of insights of the test samples. It can be seen that the most pavement markings retroreflectivity are between uh, 50 to 200 millicandela per square meter with some outliers occasionally. So the two um, bar chart in the bottom are some interesting findings. For example, the uh, left ones are for the weather, different weather conditions. So when it was running, the detectability was worse than when it, the vehicle was uh, running in a fine condition, like fine weather condition. And the right uh, bottom diagram shows like the impact of different uh, pavement type on the performance of the pavement markings. Basically, um, for pavement markings on the asphalt or dark uh, substrate, the, it works better than um, the ones on the concrete or light uh, pavement. Next slide, please. So we also completed a um, benefit-to-cost analysis in this project. So the pr priority of focus is non-urban road, which we believe will be more beneficial considering the nature of the line keeping assist. That is to say, the majority of the automated uh, steering functions will only be activated when the speed is higher than a certain value, say 65 kilometers per hour or 80 uh, kilometers per hour. So once the key um, and one of the key uh, safety benefits is to make the driver aware of that they are drifting in the lines, which oftentimes happen when the driver suffers fatigue on rural roads. So the model was developed developed using Victorian pavement marking and the widening cost, and we consider the reduced life of pavement markings. The analysis was done for two scenarios. One is only to maintain and upgrade pavement markings only, which cost will cost about like $1 billion and has a benefit to cost ratio of 3.28. The second scenario um, is to widen the pavement while um, upgrading or maintaining the pavement markings. And this scenario will cost us about 2.88 billion with a benefit to cost ratio of 1.29. So next slide, please. Yeah, I think I'll pass it to Julian and Scott for the key findings of this project. Thank you, April. Um, yeah, so I'll just quickly go through some findings and then Scott Benjamin will wrap up with the recommendations. Um, so the main key finding was a minimum contrast ratio of three to one is quite appropriate. Um, so rather than coming up, we, we do talk about some minimum standards around um, the actual brightness and MCD of pavement markings, but it really should be a focus of that contrast ratio and understanding how 
what the quality of pavement is and the quality of pavement marking is and the consistency of both the I guess the colour of the uh, pavement marking and the colour uh, or the bright the relative brightness of the two um, it's really quite key um, but supporting the harmonisation pavement markings uh, with 150 mil wide edge lines um, but our findings didn't find many issues um, below above 100 millimetres uh, 100 millimetres so um, there's more detail and discussion around that in the report. Um, yeah, conclusion on that. And dashed lines will fail before continuous lines. So there's a world where perhaps you'd look at perhaps looking at uh, maintaining or ensuring the quality of dashed lines over your continu continuity lines, continuous lines. Um, one of the key findings recommendations has been taken up in the US as well. Scott will mention this one. Um, it's continuity lines and interchanges. Um, so that's where you have a sudden widening in the pavement. Um, it's very hard for vehicles to work out which which line to follow, and different vehicles interpret that in different scenarios. So having the quality uh, continuity lines at exit ramps and interchanges is quite important. Um, I think. One thing we haven't talked too much today, and we can't, we won't talk about actual specific vehicle manufacturers, um, because all of them supplied vehicles, uh, and we thank them for that. Um, some will be here today listening, uh, but they supplied their vehicles with a uh, with the understanding that the actual vehicle performance of individual individual vehicles wouldn't be shared, which is fine, because uh, we're more testing pavement marking than actually testing vehicles. We want to understand how different vehicles approach, and there's quite a different approach to the way many of them uh, understand and will interpret machine vision for paper markings and the way the HMI will actually talk to you. Um, I think April mentioned before the false runs of paper marking and that was where we were actually the vehicle be telling us that it's detecting a line and due to maybe it doesn't want to confuse you by turning on and off rapidly and you'd actually test the pavement marking and it wouldn't actually detect it physically so it wouldn't turn your back or alert uh, or the alert wouldn't go off. Uh, so that sort of, uh, that variety between vehicles was quite a surprise for us as well. Like the the range, we thought it'd be a closer uh, closer relationship between the way they interpret based on the fact that there's only two real manufacturers providing the cameras. Um, mixing of yellow and white paper markings within construction zones um, really needs to be reconsidered. It's quite a, it needs to be carefully considered and for the length of time, particularly when it's a long, it's years and years. Um, that's a section of the road where vehicles of machine vision are not going to provide that lane keeping capacity, capability. Um, removing redundant paper markings, similar to the above um, consideration of how long you're going to be impacting the road network for and the actual impact you'll have on vehicles. Um, yep. The, the states do have one of the things that came up in literature review is the states actually have very uh, limited information on the current condition of the pavement marking assets. Um, a couple of states um, are doing this well in some areas, but in the vast majority of states, um, all funding goes into maintaining, really. It's very difficult to um, prioritise and understand the condition of asset. And understanding that condition of asset and the what needs to be improved or maintained will really be a um, will restrict the ability to get some benefits out of actually a wider program of improving and then monitoring. So you want to monitor and understand whether it's through modeling or, or um, actual measurement, 
when your paper markings are going to perhaps dip below that three to one ratio and that width of 150 or 125 or 100, depending on what you deem is appropriate for your state or jurisdiction. And yeah, targeted investment based on, you know, how busy a road is and how critical that road is, um, perhaps consideration of paper marking will have a wider benefit than previously thought. And so this project uh, was sort of we've managed, to, yeah, the US has taken up some of the recommendations from our project um, and some of the, pro, the early findings and the early information shared. So that happened in February this year uh, that I mentioned before around paper marking. So, and I think we're chatting to the Europeans as well to share this project as well. So it's been quite popular, um, anticipated, I guess. Uh, particularly in Europe and the US, so we've been trying to sort of share what we can. Um, the report we've written, and I'll leave, leave it to Scott next, but um, the report, we've tried to be very careful and not be too strong. So while we did find information and results that were perhaps interesting, uh, sometimes we didn't have the weight of evidence to push a case very strongly, so we've been quite careful in our recommendations. Um, so yeah, perhaps reading the report will help clarify some of that as well, if anyone's got any questions on that. Scott. Thanks, Julian. Yeah, that's um, that's a good sort of overarching comment here. And just to uh, from Julian, and just to wrap up, um, sort of final uh, recommendations here. Um, just a reminder: uh, if you've got any questions, uh, jump in the uh, the the chat there, and uh, good good time to to get those in. Um, so key recommendations: firstly, the road agencies support. The, uh, the the standard to harmonise pavement markings and the national pavement marking specification, uh, particularly um, line width and the, the contrast ratio, so QD to RL intervention levels. That um, road agencies uh, seek to improve design guidelines for continuity lines. Um, this is particularly at, uh, at uh, areas where the pavement uh, widens, exit ramps, intersections, and the, the need to uh, consider the needs of those machine vision enabled uh, vehicles and, and uh, those functions. And individual uh, state and local agencies consider improving longitudinal payment markings uh, and potentially payment widths to support automated and non-automated vehicles. And just moving on to uh, that on the next slide, we, um, that uh, road agencies consider the following maintenance practices. So firstly, to, to halt the use of mixing white and uh, yellow pavement markings. Um, and this is something uh, particularly used in Victoria on, on uh, at uh, construction sites, as Julia's men Julian's mentioned, that's uh, problematic. Uh, the, the machine vision systems just see lines. Um, that road agencies seek to improve the brightness and quality of dash lines. Um, and uh, as this is uh, obviously in relation to and seeking to uh, improve the, uh, the contrast uh, levels, QD to RL intervention levels, um, as described in that harmonization uh, specification. That road agencies improve minimum standards for removing redundant markings. So this is something that needs more focus over time as we see more of these vehicle systems ramping up on, on roads, but certainly on the road here today that um, we need to consider how we're um, managing that removal of previous lines and 
perhaps more proactively look at the way we're resheeting to remove some of those issues um, with uh, line removal to um, reduce the adverse impacts on the lane keep uh, assist systems. That road agencies should focus on uh, measurement and how they model um, their pavement marking asset conditions and considering key factors um, such as the pavement marking materials, the vehicle volumes, particularly, particularly heavy vehicle percentages and uh, in a in a model to then uh, be able to to uh, understand how these these uh, markings are degrading and that will help them uh, to to focus on and attract road safety funding um, and that road agencies um, improve current maintenance monitoring regimes to ensure we have a higher confidence in the cost and better benefit estimates we're we're putting forward uh, and again to assist uh, with potential funding for line marking maintenance. Uh, final dot point there that um, government agencies, automobile clubs and vehicle manufacturers uh, consider the potential impacts on what we see it, uh, we have seen as potentially confusing vehicle uh, lane keep assists and, and uh, these similar functions um, on, the, uh, on the human machine interface. Um, some of these uh, vehicle responses surprise drivers, and this is more of just an observation. Um, our drivers were, uh, I'd describe it as quite um, uh, professional and, and often driving and uh, involved in vehicle testing in the past. Um, and some of these functions were surprising. Um, and there's, so there's some con concern there that um, these types of behaviors could erode uh, consumer confidence or could potentially even be a distraction. Uh, to drivers, um, and that's um, more of a comment. Um, and there's further discussion in the report on that. Um, and lastly, just really want to do again thank the Austroads team that John introduced earlier. Um, thank the manufacturers um, who were really generous um, in uh, providing the use of the vehicles, and the drivers, uh, the test drivers, and particularly uh, from the Victorian Department of Transport and the RACV. Um, and that's all uh, from me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, just going back to myself. Um, thanks so much to everyone for such an interesting presentation. And we have a lot of questions. Um, I will take us to slide 15 uh, to start. Um, so in this slide, you talked about um, what vehicles understand and the algorithms used. So um, do vehicles have practice and learn algorithm which adjust to line marking conditions? Was that considered in the project? Yeah, it, um, we believe uh, some vehicles do. There's very um, uh, limited information from the different manufacturers about, um, some made a very light comment about that uh, and we draw from inference and uh, change uh, in some of the performance that, that there was a learning algorithm in place on a limited number of those vehicles, but it's not clearly stated. Um, it's not something that uh, the manufacturers would share. Thank you. Um, another question um, is about LED in pavement. Um, so how would the vehicle react to um, LED in pavement lighting used for tidal flow scenarios and merging uh, lanes which change at different times of the day? I'll go that one if you like. Uh, I That wasn't tested part of our testing so it's hard for us to sort of infer or um, guess from that but um, 
if it's consistent payload marking in the vehicle sees it on something on the left and something on the right that's mm -hmm. generally going to provide consistent uh, delineation or keeping the vehicle on the straight and narrow anything that varies from that is got a potential to confuse vehicles so Julian on that I think some of the literature review uh, talked about uh, box dots and uh, how yeah, yeah. And systems were finding that difficult. So yep. uh, the retro-reflective um, dots that you see, I think we've got some on the Hume Highway in New South Wales, or we used to, but most of those have been removed now. Um, I'd imagine it'd be a similar scenario. What would you think? Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to take us to the slides where you talked about testing. Um, and the question is, uh, were there any implications, difficulties, reading line markings on concrete pavement? Um, does this significantly change the contrast ratio um, for machine vision compared to darker asphalt surfaces? Uh, I think if we can switch to slide, let me just double check. Mm -hmm. um, 31, uh, 31, yep. 31, here we go. So yeah, this is our analysis around concrete. So there definitely was a impact on detectability. Um, so we tested some concrete pavement in Melbourne, Victoria, mm -hmm. on the end of the Eastern Freeway, and there's definitely an impact. Um, depending on the pay, the concrete and the age of the concrete, uh, that's obviously gonna change, but monitoring that, uh, that relative contrast ratio is gonna be quite critical. Just a picture down the bottom of the pavement type. And there's more detail on that in the report. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any advice on best practice for uh, line marking and uh, pavement uh, markers when considering that not all vehicles can detect line marking? For example, um, what if uh, you've got a road with snow on it? So what, will machine vision work properly with? Um, in, in, in those conditions? Um, I, I think, no, I, I think um, probably um, sort of coming back to that uh, previous slide with the reference from Forson that we, we presented in the introduction. So the, the machine vision, um, uh, uh, sorry, 15. was back in the, yeah, 15. Um, 15? Yeah, so mm -hmm. the, the, the machine vision systems are looking for what they, uh, something like uh, line marking and where they're picking up um, uh, sharp contrast. So sometimes, um, anecdotally, we'd say sometimes an edge break in a rural road um, could help with that, uh, mm -hmm. perform that function. Um, but if you're in a scenario where you had something like snow, which is perhaps patchy, not at all like a straight line, um, I, 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 we'd assume, and obviously we didn't test this, that that would be harder for the, for the machine vision uh, systems to, to differentiate and pick up. So yeah, that, that consistency and delineation I, is important. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the automated driving system would need to fall back to another system. Um, and that might be something like um, high definition maps with high precision positioning or something similar to that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that some of our trials uh, that have occurred in automated shuttle buses, uh, one in particular was involved with uh, a, um, a high altitude area with uh, a, quite a, a, a large drop of leaves during autumn and the mm -hmm. vehicle vehicle to understand where it was on the network uh, with the leaves over the over the pavement surface so 
Um, you know, these things are important, I think, to to um, to understand, but mm -hmm. it's also uh, something that shows that just one system alone or one sensor is not capable of, uh, of informing the whole automated driving system. We need multiple sensors and multiple ways of doing that with redundancy built in. And that's why it's such a difficult task, I think, in terms of full automation uh, as we move into that future. Do you have any advice on how that could be addressed um, when we talk about like unsealed rural roads um, and having no markings there at all, like in the future? Yeah, high high definition maps and mm -hmm. precision positioning. Um, yep. Both of which you're very unlikely to find on gravel roads in more sort of rural and remote areas. So I think um, gravel roads will, will continue to be a, a real challenge because mm -hmm you won't have the pavement infrastructure but you will need to you know supplement that with high definition maps uh, they're very expensive you're unlikely to see that on low volume roads and in addition to that you may need some additional positioning infrastructure um, like mobile uh, data networks or something like that again very unlikely to see that in um, you know the more remote areas of Australia or New Zealand. Thanks, and, John. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah, continue, uh, John. I think it's important to focus on where the best value for money when your road safety approach is. So we're looking at um, improving rural roads that are busy and have a high, poor crash history, and that can actually provide substantial benefit. And not a lot of there's not a large gap to get there. Um, managing all of the some of the major cases, some of them are quite important to solve, um, will take time and technology. Um, but it's be good not to discard the strong benefits of today. I guess you can say. Thanks, Julian. Um, any consideration on uh, of reflectivity of markings that can be seen by a vehicle but not seen by uh, the human eye? That is, so a continuous line can still be installed without confusing human motorists. So have you thought of, of that? Uh, we didn't, no. Uh, we're looking at um, traditional pavement marking installed by road agencies. So that um, particular element wasn't looked at. Um, from my understanding, the way the cameras are interpreting images, they're a very basic 15 to 25 frames per second um, uh, camera. So it's just taking pictures and then each picture in succession is trying to understand the difference between them. So um, most of the, yeah, those systems aren't common in vehicles either. Thanks, Julian. Um, in your research, um, so what was the best performing and worst performing vehicle and how did you choose uh, what vehicle to use as the main test vehicle? Do you want to go to the first bit, yeah. the second bit, Scott? I'll, um, uh, yeah. It's just a test vehicle. Um, it literally came down to what vehicles were available uh, from manufacturers and which ones were easy to uh, install and configure the mobile eye into. Um, without that had been tested and established without having to reconfigure and recalibrate it substantially. Um, that was the main driver. Um, and we were mostly interested in seeing how the mobile actually looked at different paper markings as well. And maybe you, Scott, you can talk about the... Yeah, so um, look, it's, uh, in, in terms of uh, what was the best and what was the worst, we we uh, we will not say. And um, there, there was certainly a range in performance across the different uh, scenarios that were placed yeah. in. So not one single vehicle performed the best in, in all environments. Um, 
and certainly um, the 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 uh, the dollar value of the vehicle or the price of the vehicle isn't necessarily an indication of its performance. So there's some great performing uh, vehicles which are um, in a in a very affordable category, um, and those those functions um, certainly performing well, um, which is which is important. Um, and uh, you know just recognizing um, the you know the vehicles we tested, um, which the technology may have been say uh, you know two to three years old now, uh, will be even uh, higher performing today, I'd assume. And Scott, I think a really important point here to talk about it as well is all about software and software updates. So um, having driven um, you know, advanced test vehicles over many tens of thousands of kilometres and having the opportunity to drive, to drive those vehicles with exactly the same hardware, but with three versions of software, Every time we got a new version of software, it improved the lane keeping capability of the vehicle as well. So um, the, the days of you know the model of car of getting what you get and nothing changing is really changing because software is now going to play uh, perhaps even more an important role than, than the hardware um, and certainly in terms of upgrades as well. And of course, we see that constantly with vehicles like Tesla and that that are upgrading their systems. The hardware is not changing, so the mechanic is not coming in and pulling out something out and putting something in. It's the software changes that are going to uh, give the um, incremental performance in terms of many of these um, more automated technologies that we're seeing in vehicles. Thanks, John. Uh, we have another question here. Um, can any of the vehicles or software retrospectively look at video footage of a road or only be used live, which may rely on other sensors as well? So I suppose, can it be looked at retrospectively? As in, can you feed video footage to a car and see what it does? Mm -hmm. um, so I quite I think maybe it's also um, getting at is the vehicle actually recording that footage, Julian, as it's moving oh, around. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's it's purely uh, real time. Um, yeah, and and as Julian you, you mentioned, you know, there's limited information generally available from canvas for most vehicles. So, um, uh, which is back to the point of why why use mobile eye. And a lot yeah. of that vision processing now occurs on the chip, so it's actually occurring in the camera. Yeah. It's not going out of the camera to another computer in the car and that information coming back because that would actually take a long time. It's taking too long. So a lot of the processing, especially with Mobileye, they process that on the vision chip that's in, in, the, um, in the camera um, so that they can get that turnaround and that, that knowledge to the system as quickly as possible. And you don't actually see any of that coming out, so it's not being recorded. Yeah, that's Thanks, right. Um, I just uh, went to slide 20, um, and the question here is about contrast ratio. So how is contrast ratio measured between road surface and lay, uh, line marking? Is there an Australian standard method for that? <laughs> Uh, welcome to us spending a lot of time trying to work this out. Um, there aren't any real, I guess, okay, April, if you want to chat a bit more on this, but um, okay. yeah. yeah. So, uh, yes, structural reflectivity, usually, like, I mean, universally adopted um, by all sorts of real agencies is using, um, like, ritual reflectometer at the handheld or mobile one, mobile one um, to measure the um, RL. 
And the other thing normally, like RL is normally referred to to describe the nighttime visibility of a payment marking. And we also, um, you know, QD is another thing that is um, adopted by real agents road agencies and normally are used for describing the daytime visibility. So they um, both um, like mirrored by the ritual reflectometer, but the QD cannot be um, mirrored by the mobile ritual reflectometer, mobile ritual reflectometer. That's why, um, you know, we have focused on this um, RL value in our uh, testing. Does that yep. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's not a lot of uh, established um, principles um, around measuring and using a different contrast ratio, whether it's QD, QD or RL, or whether it is, um, and even the relationship between QD and RL, there's a few differing um, opinions and pieces of work on that. Thanks, Julian. I'm going to take us to slide 32. Um, and the question here, um, so when considering the economic benefits, what was the uh, purpose of including pavement widening as part of scenario two? Yep, so part of our research and discussion with manufacturers, vehicle manufacturers and uh, some of our work um, indicated there's a sort of a minimum pavement width. And we're looking at, um, I guess, in the Victorian context, um, MA, B and C class roads, um, that changes depending on which state you're in. Um, and from the different, uh, there's, a, there's a large number of roads which still have quite a high volume, but actually have a quite, uh, the pavement's probably too narrow to include, include pavement marking on both the edge and the centre line and maintain something the vehicle's going to be comfortable driving on. So for those bureaus, we um, calculated, provided some estimation models and what the size of those, what the amount of uh, proportion of the road network those were, and then uh, estimated the amount of widening um, to be required. So long and the short of it is to make sure. Um, so I guess the initial scenario one was a certain proportion of the road network, and scenario two was expanding the proportion of the road network that you're going to get benefits across. Um, Thanks, Julian. That, that really gets back to the width of the lane, doesn't it? So yeah. when the vehicle's judging between each line, the barrier line and the centre line, what the width of that lane is, and those vision systems can only uh, cope with a, a certain width. If it gets narrower than that, it's very, it's much more difficult for it to actually ascertain and to keep the vehicle within that space. If you've yeah, got a link. Um, thank you very much, John. Um, we don't have any time left, but I will ask one last question. Um, can pavement errors be recognized by uh, machine vision to aid with uh, with the line marking? Pavement errors, sorry? P pavement errors, yeah. I think maybe that maybe uh, meaning, uh, can we use that feedback? Um, to aid um, how we target line marking in the future. I'd, uh, John, you oh, might so have to that. Or, yeah. yeah, so Australia's has done a, a little bit of work on this. In our last year in October, we published a report around auditing um, physical infrastructure for its readiness for automation. That report does uh, have an audit specification and it included uh, an audit of 25,000 kilometres of uh, freeways and motorways across Australia and New Zealand. 
uh, and we did use Mobileye to do some of that work so we could actually automate that um, data collection process. So have a look at that report and the webinar associated with it. Thanks so much, um, John. So, well, that brings us to the end um, of the Q&A session. Thanks so much to all of our participants and their questions. Um, we have a number of questions that we didn't answer, so we will collate them all in one document uh, and we'll send you the copy of the response um, after the webinar. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to say a few words about our next uh, webinars. We have four sessions coming up. Uh, there will be two sessions in November. Uh, and the first one, in the first one, we will talk about a uniform set of procedures to uh, measure special purpose vehicles in Australasia. And in the second, we will look at the findings uh, of an eight-year study into the performance of uh, bitumen as binders as a key component of sprayed seals. Uh, and there are also two sessions in December, with the first um, first one focusing on the updates, the guidance on the um, on interrupted traffic flow theory, and the second one explaining uh, a design method uh, for pavements containing lightly bound cemented materials. So please visit our website and register. Thanks again, um, uh, guys, for a very interesting presentation. Uh, thanks Thank to um, all of our participants for uh, being with us. Um, before, uh, when, when we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Uh, we do read it, read it all. It's uh, very important for us to know what you liked or didn't like, and we use your suggestions to shape our future program. So thanks again to everyone. Uh, stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day, and we hope to see you next time. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you.